Welcome to the Talk Story to Me podcast, where editors Amber and Callista show you how to develop an idea from initial conception to final product. In this season, we'll be working with Amber's new idea for her novel, Legend of the Gemini Twins. When you begin crafting a story, story building can be a very overwhelming task. So to make it easier, we're going to break it down into a series of questions to go through. The first obstacle you always want to tackle is figuring out the heart and soul of your story. So Amber, I'm very curious to know, could you describe to me what your story idea is and when you first came up with it? My story idea relates a lot to a couple of different things. One, my children. I have a 13-year-old daughter named Ellie. And mm-hmm. then I have 10-year-old twins named Evie and Jackson. Ellie is kind of my creative, artistic, behind-the-scenes sort of helper that helped me with the development of the idea. She's my expert in that target market in that age group. And then the twins are a very unusual mix in that Jackson and Evie are very opposite types of people. And I thought it would be very fun to play with them as characters in a book and sort of that yin and yang that they have between them. And you add to that my love of the show Expedition Unknown, where they travel all over the world and look at these archaeological sites. And sometimes they hunt for treasure. And I sort of took the two and and merged them together and started talking to Ellie about the concept. And came up with the idea of a boy that's being bullied in school and very fearful. And then he finds himself transported back in time to the early 1500s when the conquistadors initially arrived and started to take over the Incan Empire. And he's trapped in the middle of a jungle. And he has no choice but to face all these really terrifying obstacles and sort of overcome his fears. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. I love that a lot. When you write a story, like this story is going to be something that you are just obsessing over for like a year or so, right? Writing takes a lot of time, especially writing a full-length novel. So I'm curious then, why does this particular story appeal to you? I think it appeals to me because my son tends to have a lot of anxiety and a lot of fears. As a parent, you can tell your child not to have anxiety and fears, but that tends to not have a lot of impact. So I'm wanting to craft a story that shows him how to conquer fear mm. without coming out and just telling him to conquer fear. Got you. And that is very much at the heart of why I want to write this story. It, it's Got you. to teach something to my children, but in a roundabout way that's not preaching. Yeah, absolutely. So the story is more than just entertaining idea about this kid getting lost in like the 1500s. It's much more about fear and like, how does one handle fear maybe? Or how does one conquer fear? Yes, yes. It's all about conquering fear and, you know, maturing into knowing what your power and being able to use your power in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And so then why focus on Jackson in this book instead of Evie? 
I felt like he had the strongest lesson to learn between the two at this particular mm. moment in his life. That makes sense. So then I'm curious to know what core belief is driving you to write this book? That conquering their own fears leads to saving the day. Got you. So conquering fear equals heroism. That's kind of what you want the correlation to be inside their mind? Yes. With that said, then, can you kind of start seeing how that belief would start translating into characters? So maybe if if you want them to, at the end of the day to say heroism, to be heroic, they have to conquer their fear. So can you start kind of seeing ways that you could use that core belief that you want the reader to feel into the characters? Like how can you make your characters express this idea? I would have to start out by showing how fearful Jackson is and then mm-hmm. develop it to where he has these small milestones where he doesn't have a chance to think and he's forced to just act. And then at the end, he would have to do that, which he is most afraid of in order to save the day. Yeah, I think that's a good way to start like translating that into characters and especially character arcs, because that's especially what you're talking about right here. You know, he starts non-heroic because he's living in fear You're going to have the milestones where he ends the story heroic because he's overcome fear. But I would also be really interested in maybe seeing the idea of what does it look like maybe if you don't overcome this or seeing ways in which Jackson can be punished if he doesn't overcome it. You know what I mean? Like maybe at the beginning of the story, he chooses to act non-heroically because he's in fear. And so I would be interested maybe in seeing what are the consequences for that? Perhaps. I need to have him refuse to deal with his fear and it creates some sort of disaster that sets them backwards. Yeah, it could be their goal. Yeah, absolutely. It could set them backwards. It could, you know, make the situation worse. You could also maybe even toss around ideas of what if it creates a false victory where they feel like they've won, but it's very hollow. You know what I mean? Because he didn't overcome his fear. So like, it seems like the one, but in reality, it's actually a worse situation. I'm just wondering as far as story grid and the different parts of the book, Mm -hmm. where it would be best to put that moment like a hollow victory moment, you mean? Yeah, would it be like still in the beginning hook? I feel like you could probably do that at multiple points, depending on how big of a moment you want it to be. If it's a huge moment of, it's like a win but lose scenario, then you probably want it to be at the end more if, it, if it's going to be like this huge moment. But I think you could have scenes where you show him making the wrong decision, right? And you want to punish him for making the wrong decision. And so you could do it the traditional way, which is here are the consequences, the situation is worse. And then you could also kind of figure out, okay, but if he still doesn't change from that, maybe we can have him win something by acting non-heroic, but the victory is hollow. Maybe Evie's upset with him because he had to give up a part of himself, maybe some form of self-esteem or dignity in order to do that and you can have a scene turn on that and then the next scene you can show if he is changing from that if he doesn't like the consequences enough of that to finally start being like 
it isn't worth it. You know what I mean? The consequences of not changing isn't worth not changing. Yeah. So in the context of what I've been thinking about the book already, since I've written part of it, there's a part where they make it to El Dorado mm-hmm. and they meet the Incan chief. And I think in my original conception, I was thinking that neither Evie nor Jackson fully trusted this character, but maybe it would be better for Jackson to trust the character and be totally in with just trusting him because he wants to give his power away to someone else. And he doesn't Mm. want to assume all the responsibility where Evie, on the other hand, doesn't trust him. Yeah. And when they get kind of double crossed, Jackson realizes that he made a mistake by giving all of his power away and just trusting this other person with all the responsibility for what he needed to do. Yeah, I think that could be a great scene. I feel like there's there's a lot of conflict in that as well. The conflict of he's giving away his agency to an authority figure. Mm-hmm. And if he has the beliefs that authority figures know all, this could also be a great way to start breaking that. And if that breaks, maybe that can also start becoming the real catalyst for his change altogether of, you know what, I can handle this myself. I don't have to give away my agency to other people. And it's also, it could be a really good source of conflict between him and Evie. You know what I mean? Because if Evie is like, we can't trust this guy. And maybe Jackson's like, but he's an authority figure. What do you mean we can't trust him? He knows everything. We absolutely can. It can create conflict too. If Evie's like, well, why don't you trust me? I'm your sister. You know me. You don't know this guy. And so that can also create a lot of emotional conflict between them as well, not just external conflict. So I I feel like that's a good idea. Plus, I think it plays into the whole reason they're going on this adventure is to save their parents who were archaeologists and disappeared in this jungle Mm -hmm. two years ago. And Jackson is really desperate to get his parents back because he wants to be dependent again on Mm -hmm. having adults that can tell him all of the answers. Mm -hmm. Whereas Evie's had to adapt especially being a few minutes older, you know, if you study the psychology of twins, even though Evie was born 16 minutes before Jackson was, Mm -hmm. and they're theoretically the same age, she still definitely is the middle child of my household. And Jackson is definitely the baby. Even though they're only separated by minutes, they still Mm -hmm. fall into that familial structure. Right. So as the older twin, she definitely tends to be more authoritative and take more charge and Mm -hmm. be more independent than he Mm -hmm. is. So naturally, if you take a character like that and you take their parents away, she's going to assume more of the parental responsibility Mm -hmm. and try to sort of guide him. Then I'd be really interested to see if she's also taking on the parental responsibility. In a sense, she's also kind of stealing his ability then to show agency because she's trying to tell him what to do, right? So I'd be interested to see then if you could show maybe the consequences of her taking on a parental responsibility. You know what I mean? Of showing, hey, if he needs to figure this out by himself, if that's the crux of his thing, it's codependency, right? If that's kind of maybe also part of the issues of why he can't overcome his fear. I'd be curious to know if toying around with the idea of making him alone at one point would be a good idea where he literally cannot depend on somebody else, not on Evie, not on authority figure, just him and the world. 
I would wonder if maybe that could also be like a good end point of it's just you kid. You have to learn to trust yourself or yeah. if there's a different way to do that, because I, I would be worried that if they're together and Evie's someone who's always telling him what to do, how are you going to break his worldview in a way that Evie wouldn't undermine if she's there with him 100% of the time? Maybe either he gets kidnapped by the conquistadors and then has to deal with that situation on his own. Or, or maybe Evie gets kidnapped and he has to save her. And mm-hmm. it's it's like, what do I do? You know what I mean? There's nobody around to tell me what the right decision is anymore. Mm-hmm. That might work better because I also want this sort of, you know, Evie has to learn a lesson too. And in my mind, she's a little impetuous. She's a little too quick to jump in and take charge and dive into things. And she's not really a very look before you leap. So she's kind of the opposite extreme. She has kind of the opposite lesson to learn. She has to learn to put more thought into her actions and maybe be a little more fearful and a little more cautious. It's a lot of then exploring the nuance in this idea of fear isn't always bad. It just becomes bad when it paralyzes you. And so that's Jackson's journey, right? Of becoming unparalyzed and almost like developing self-confidence because that's what it also takes as well. It's, it's trusting in yourself to handle a situation, even despite the fact that you feel fear. Right. And Evie is kind of the opposite. It's, it's showing the gradation of, okay, but then you can go too far in this extreme. You know what I mean? And there are consequences to not thinking before you do things. There are consequences to not taking a second to say, hey, this is scary. Maybe I should think about this a little bit more. So it sounds like what you're really interested in exploring then in this novel is what's the gray area? What's the true healthy relationship to have with fear and bravery? Does that sound accurate? Yes, it does. Good. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> and, and then I, knowing that. I never would have broken that down myself to really pinpoint. And it really helps to discuss it with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Kind of figure out where that's all going. So we talked a lot about how do we translate that belief and that why into Jackson's character. How do you want to translate that why into Evie's character then? to think before she acts is basically what it is. That her relationship to bravery is just as unhealthy as Jackson's relationship to fear. I'm thinking initially it would probably kind of work for her based on the situation they're in. But then ideally she would get herself into a situation where she's in peril Mm -hmm. because of her actions. And then he alone would have to figure out and conquer his fears in order to get her out of that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like with Evie, she's in a scenario where short term, her relationship with bravery is going to pay off, but in the long term, it's not going to. So Evie's character arc, and I know that you had mentioned before you're interested in making this a series. So I'd be interested in if Evie's character arc is one that should play out over more than one book, if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. where you where you kind of show in the background, since she's not really the main character, although I think you want to, we're maybe thinking about having some sections told from her point of view. Yeah, I was thinking about doing dual points of view where it kind of alternated chapter by chapter between his point of view and her point of view. Yeah. And so I, w- I would be interested then in what's best serves her character arc is 
telling it over two stories and maybe ending it in the second story and having the main emphasis be on your relationship to fear in the first book and then Mm -hmm. having it be your relationship to bravery in the second one. Since in the first book, it sounds like she is going to get the short-term reward of this. And of course, there's going to be issues like what you said. Her bravery is going to lead to bad things happening. But my biggest concern would be, are bad things going to happen enough to truly break her worldview in the first book? If if the true bad things are going to be the long-term consequences of not thinking your things through, would it serve it better than to have her character arc be over two books? Yeah, so maybe if things end up all working out for the best in the end, she won't completely break frame. Mm-hmm. But you can begin to break it. You can end it with her being a little shaken, a little bit like, wow, I could have seriously gotten hurt or I could have seriously lost my brother in this battle because I didn't think through what I did. And so you can start the frame break here, but I think that it might serve it better to do it over two novels and have the second one be much more centered on, okay, but you can go too far with your relationship to bravery. What do you think about that? So book one would then be mainly focused on him, but then book two would be mostly focused on her. Yeah, I think that's a good way of doing it. If that's something you're interested in, if you're dead set on, I want it to be told in one book, Mm -hmm. we could find a way to do that. But I think it serves it best to do it over two. So we talked about like character arcs and Mm -hmm. ideas like Jackson being afraid, maybe the best way to break his worldview and create his character arc is, you know, making sure he's alone or making him trust an authority figure that isn't trustworthy. But how can we do it more now in the central conflict? You know what I mean? Instead of just the character arcs. So it could be maybe Jackson is afraid. And now that I'm talking this out loud, we may have covered both together since this is very much hardwired into their character arcs. But into the idea of can you start seeing where conflict could happen between Evie and Jackson the page in between them and between other characters and how you could start generating conflict for scenes. Does that mm-hmm. help it any better? Yeah, because Evie's always going to b- want to be, just dive in and do, and Jackson's going to want to sit back and think a little bit more. And mm-hmm. he's going to be a lot more hesitant to act. When in reality, the best course would probably be somewhere in the middle of the two. Yes, yes. But because she's at one extreme and he's at another They're having a very hard time coming together to decide on any course of action. Mm -hmm. So I could see where she would just dive in and start doing, and then he would just give in and follow. And then sometimes that's going to work out and sometimes it's not. Yeah. And then you can also start thinking in terms of what's the consequences to Jackson just giving up his agency to Evie, you know what I mean? And just following. And there could be times where it's like a great, this is what happens when you don't stand up for what you believe you should do. And maybe it's bad consequences. Or you can, again, start thinking in terms of if Evie wants to do this and Jackson doesn't, but he just gives up his agency to her. Is there any like hollow victories you can bring in there where it won, but Jackson now feels bad or there's some sort of consequences? Like it's a win but fail kind of scenario where you can almost start asking your questions like, yes, they won, but this thing happened now, or no, they didn't. And here are the consequences for the fact that Jackson isn't truly changing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the mission of the entire book is to get their parents back. And I've toyed a lot with the idea of, you know, at the end, do they 
get their parents back? Do they get one parent, but not the other? And then they have to spend the rest of the book series trying to get the other parents. I have a Josh Gates type character who's an archaeologist. That's, mm-hmm. you know, the character's kind of loosely based on him. I can't totally base it on him because that would be copyright unless he'd ever want to endorse it, you know, and give me his blessing. But that'd be great. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening, Josh, call me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I've debated on do they get the parents back, but Josh is missing or do they get Josh back, but the parents are gone. And so then Josh has to help them through the rest of the series to get the parents back. Right. And maybe their actions at the end or the conflict between them or something causes them to make a misstep. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they're almost about to hit their goal, but then because of their conflict, something happens mm-hmm. and they miss it. Mm-hmm. And then it causes them to not quite achieve all of the goal. And I feel like if you're going to go that route, that could be a good way of shaking up Evie's worldview. If it's technically her fault that they didn't completely fill out their goal because she didn't change her worldview. That could be a good way of ending that and starting the second novel with her worldview shaken. You know what I mean? And I guess this is actually a good time to sit down and figure out then because we, we've talked a lot about the first novel. And so I'd be interested in zooming out a little bit and looking at the series as a whole. And what are you wanting to explore with the series as a whole in the terms of theme, basically? Because we, we figured out what you're really interested in with the first book and maybe the second book is your relationship with bravery. And I'm going to kind of maybe assume that you want to branch that out over all of the books in the series. How many books did you want in the series, by the way? See, I was thinking five. That's just kind of arbitrary because I was thinking about some of the different locations and things I would like to explore. I don't know that I'm choosing that based on what's ideal for their character arcs and and how long it's going to take to develop that. You know, I know in the next book, I'm wanting to do Camelot. And some of the conflict between Arthur and Morgana. And I almost have this sense that maybe in book number two, Evie is going to dabble maybe with the idea of going to the dark side. And it's going to, you know, because she's going to be like, you know, Morgana is so powerful. And Mm -hmm. I have the sorcery ability because we are descended from her. Mm -hmm. And maybe I need to use this to get my parents back, especially if she ends with the first book feeling like it's her fault, then she might overcompensate a little bit the other and be willing to go a little bit further to the dark side Mm -hmm. to get their means met. So I feel like book two is going to be more about the light versus the dark. Yeah, And I love that idea, just so you know. I feel like that totally plays into Evie's kind of mindset of not really thinking through her actions. So it's, again, she's too focused on the short term, right? In the short term, going to the darker side or taking on all these powers is getting her what she wants, but she's not taking in the bigger picture and she's going to get hurt and she's going to hurt other people, the loved ones, by the fact that she's not truly thinking through her decisions, So I love this idea of like Evie going dark. And so I think that's a great idea and a great conflict for the second book. 
And so I'd be interested then in knowing more about like the light and dark thing. So you're interesting in that being more of a theme for the second book then, like good versus evil. Is that what you mean by light and dark? Yeah, I mean, we all have, we're not all one or all the other. We're Mm -hmm. all sort of degradations of the two. I see them being much more divided in the second book and him sort of being on one side of the argument and her on the other and the conflict between the two. I picture them getting separated and having their own sort of adventure. Yes. And I could see that conflict making a lot of sense, too, if Jackson has learned basically to stand up for himself and has a newfound self-confidence. That could create a lot of conflict in their relationship if Evie's used to being able to bulldoze him. You know what I mean? Uh So it's now in the second book, it's a lot of reconfiguring their own relationship with each other. Now that Jackson has grown and kind of self-actualized. So then I'm curious again, and we can zoom out just a little bit more. It sounds like what you're really interested in exploring again is nuance, right? Because in the second book, you're talking about the nuance of no one's fully good, no one's fully evil. And in the Mm -hmm. first book, it was kind of more the nuance between your relationship with fear and bravery. Mm -hmm. So when we zoom back out and we look at the series as a whole, are you more interested in exploring the nuance in fear or the nuance in good and evil? Like, which one do you want to be more dominant? I'm almost thinking that the nuance between good and evil is going to be more the overall thing, because I know in the first book I have Tiki and I was planning at the end, they feel like he totally double crossed them and that he's the villain. Mm -hmm. But then by the end of the series, they realize that he's from Atlantis and that, you know, his entire homeland gets destroyed and Mm -hmm. that he had gone back in time to try and save his family and his people Mm -hmm. and that he had heroic reasons for doing what he did and that he wasn't so bad after all. In the last book, I see them coming together and trying to help Tiki accomplish his goal. Got you. And so the Tiki arc is the arc that spans multiple novels, right? That's kind of what's in your head. Okay. But in order for all of that to happen, Jackson has to, conquer his fear and learn how to use his agency otherwise Mm -hmm. he would not be willing to do something so heroic to help someone else at the very end of the series and that's also something you could explore in the first novel of being afraid all the time can make you very selfish And so you can explore the consequences of that. You know what I mean? If maybe Evie wants to help somebody and Jackson's kind of like, okay, but we don't really have to help them. And we're stuck in this forest, you know, by ourselves. We don't have anything to help other people with. And so you can also kind of like make a sort of conflict similar to that, where you're just showing how being afraid all the time can make one selfish and the consequences to that. So you can explore that there as well. There's a lot of interesting things you can explore when it comes to fear and the way fear shows up in behavior in the first novel. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Especially to generate conflict in scenes. I feel like with the maturation plot too, learning that most people aren't either all good or all bad is also like part of the maturation process. Yes. It's seeing the world in shades of gray. And so then I would be interested. So if your series thing then wants to be no one's completely good, no one's completely evil, is that correct? Yeah. Exploring the the variations of 
how bad do you have to be to be bad and how good do you have to be to be good? And, Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that that most people are a little bit of both, Mm -hmm. you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses and our, I know usually when they say in order to develop as a person, you have to dig into your shadow and develop that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can't really become a better person if you're just ignoring a side to yourself. You know what I mean? If you're just repressing certain parts of yourself, mm-hmm. you, it's hard to grow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then I'd be really interested now that I understand that your series theme and what you want to write about is different than from the individual main theme of maybe the book, if like your first book. Mm-hmm. And actually, before I get into that question, I'd be very interested to know why that theme for the series? With the characters in mind and the way I've put it all together, that's just sort of the natural direction that that is flowing towards. And I feel like it just fits in very nicely with the worldview maturation plot that I'm wanting Mm. to follow. I could totally see that, that as kids grow again we had kind of mentioned this earlier naturally as you mature you begin to see the world in more shades of gray so then I would be interested in seeing how are you going to translate that that series theme then into the first book as well my thoughts were to have it end with them thinking that Tiki while he acted like their friend was actually a horrible villain I was thinking that by the end of the book, they feel betrayed by him. Or at least maybe one of them would say, well, we got totally betrayed. But then maybe the other one of them was like, you know, maybe there's more to it than that. Because one of them is going to have to be willing to give him a second chance Mm. later on. Yeah. And I I definitely think that the Tiki arc is a great way of showing this and being like the through line throughout all of the book series. But I'd be interested too in seeing if there's other ways maybe you can show it that are maybe a little bit more subtler. Maybe are there ways that you can introduce like shapeshifters into the story? You know what I mean? Or people where maybe they judged upon first look that they were to be something that they weren't. The Ink and Chief I pictured as a shapeshifter. Because in the beginning, he acts like their desires are aligned, but then they find out that he had his own agenda and he double crossed them. I think that's a a good idea. One thing, though, that we're going to have to focus on at one point is which one of these is going to be more dominant in the first novel? It kind of sounds like you want the main theme of the first one to be fear and maybe the good versus bad is like a sub theme for right now. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah. Okay. And then it becomes more of a dominant theme later on, like maybe after the second book, after Mm -hmm. we've talked about having a healthy relationship to not only fear, but bravery. And Mm -hmm. then it kind of moves on into the next stage of maturation, maybe for Jackson and Evie, which is great. You guys now have a learn your lesson. You have a healthy relationship with fear and bravery but now you still have this black and white view of what good is. Is that kind of what you're, what you're interested in exploring? Yeah. All right. That's good. That's good to know. But then the question is, is it going to take five books to explore all that? Or would it be better to do it in three? How do you know how many books to do in a series? So we know what, what your series theme is. Can you go deeper into what's the main conflict 
over this series again? Because I know it's it's that they want in the first book, it's that they want to get their parents. Is that going to be the main through line throughout the entire thing? I thought about using that as the main through line through the whole thing. And I also thought about it would be easier to go that route because in a lot of books, especially in middle grade, they always take the parents out somehow. Mm-hmm. Because if you have an adult around, then it's like the adults are trying to sort of control what the kids are doing. Yes. You know, I guess that's why Disney kills off the parents in like every movie right. in the very beginning, you know, mm-hmm. somebody dies. That's their way of getting the parents out of the way. So I almost need the parents to be somewhere else so that they are forced to grapple with things on their own. So then even if they have someone like the Josh character who is giving them some guidance, he's still not necessarily parental and, and he could always, you know, get hurt or get separated, but that's a little easier to do than it is if you've got two parents that are hanging over them, trying to keep them out of danger. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that that makes sense then to kind of like have as like the series goal because you do want to keep you know the parents out of the picture so they don't steal the limelight from the kids right so I definitely think that that could be a good series goal and series conflict of you know they failed in the first book and then they're gonna move along there and so that's a, a good idea then to start thinking about how long will it take them to complete that goal you know what I mean is it a five book long conflict or is it maybe a three book long conflict you know what I mean and especially you can also start thinking of that also in terms of how long is it going to take them to learn what you want them to learn so we know it's going to take at least two books two books we're thinking for Jackson and Evie and then if they're learning the same lesson then together in the third book of no one's completely good and no one's completely evil is that something that you think you can be able to tackle in one book or maybe it's going to take a couple more? I'm not sure. I kind of wanted one of them to be set in ancient Egypt, but that's just because I found that period of time very interesting. And I thought I might be able to do something with time travel and the pyramids and Mm -hmm. why the pyramids were really built, but I had not gotten that far as far as outlining the entire series right and, you know would it be to my advantage to sit down and do like a rough breakdown of the entire series arc and mm-hmm. where I want each book to go before I start writing so you're an outliner right you prefer outlining over pantsing yeah I like to at least have an idea I try to think of myself as kind of a hybrid because yeah. I think it's good to have an outline, but then sometimes as you're writing, I recognize that, you know, sometimes really great ideas pop up or things come to you that you realize are really a great addition to the story and they're really true to the story that you didn't have in your original outline. It takes yeah. you on a different trajectory. And mm-hmm. I think you be, need to be able to follow that and not feel chained to your outline sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I think it's good to have a guide to know where you're going so you don't back yourself into a corner as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's also kind of like my approach to writing as well. So if I was you then, something that I think would be helpful since you're writing a series 
is to sit down and just figure out the global commandments for the entire series. And then if you felt compelled to figure out the global commandments for each book, I don't think you necessarily need to figure out the global commandments for each book. I just think knowing where the series is going to go and where it's going to end is going to be a lot more helpful than going in depth in each book. And I think in each book, then we, it's a little bit more of they'll just figure it out when we get there kind of a thing, as long as we understand what the through line is going to be. So do you mean for each book, figure out the inciting incident, the progressive complication, the crisis, the climax and the resolution for each quadrant of each book? No. Okay. So, I mean, you can do that if, if you want to, if you feel like that would be beneficial. I'm actually thinking of the entire series. So just sitting down and, and seeing where are the characters going to be? Where are the characters going to end at the entire thing? And then figuring out that arc, that five book or three book, whatever it's going to be, arc throughout the entire thing. Okay. I think using that as more of a direction would be easier because I think if we try to sat down and figure out for every quadrant of every book, you're going to get too stuck in the weeds. So you mean figure out the five commandments of each quadrant for the series as a whole? Yes. Okay. I think that could be beneficial. And then see how many books it takes to get through that progression reasonably. Or get an idea of it and understand that that idea isn't going to be set in stone. And I feel like that idea is kind of be something of, we'll figure it out when we get there, when we cross that bridge. You know what I mean? Because you might find out actually it's better in five books. You might get to the end of second book and you're like, okay, too much things have to happen for it to be in one book, one more book. Or you might get to the end of like book two, since we have a, a better idea of book one and book two and realize, okay, no, I don't have enough direction to make it expand two more books without, or three more books without it just needing filler. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I, I think if we just get this through line of knowing no matter what, no matter how many books you have in the series, this is where it's going to end. I think that'll give you some more direction and make it a little bit easier to figure it out. Yeah, I think that's good advice, especially because I know that when I get to the very end of that last book, I want everything to tie together really well. I Mm -hmm. want to cross all the T's and dot all the I's. And I don't want it to feel like I built up to this big moment and then I just kind of pulled something out of thin air because right there have definitely been series that I have read that I loved every book leading up to the end and then I get to the ending and it's like you could just tell you know I'm not dogging the authors in any way because they wrote mm-hmm. a really compelling series but then they it's like you could tell some of them are pantsers and they get to the end and it's like okay I've been selling them on everything up to this moment now how do I deliver on that it's like they didn't have a plan ahead of time Right. And they kind of wrote themselves into a bit of a corner and then they had to really contrive something to pull it off. And it mm-hmm. wasn't a hundred percent satisfying mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And I'm the kind of person that I would like to have it all mapped out to an extent so that I know I could lead everything up to a really satisfying moment at the end that yeah. everything ties together. And I think If you can somehow have a really clear picture in your mind of the ending that you're working towards, then everything leading up to that's going to work better. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's going to give you more direction. You know what I mean? If you understand what you're hurtling towards, you know, where everything's going. And even if if that ending ends up changing, I still feel like it'll make the writing process easier, though, if you're like this general direction is where I'm going. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, you have a guidepost. And so then I would be curious to know, what would you say is the point of this entire series? Learning to use your agency. Okay. Interesting. So once the entire series is ended, you want the reader to have taken away, I know how to use my agency now in the world and interact with other people. Yes, because even though Jackson and Evie in my mind get their parents back at the end, they're no longer so dependent on needing them back because they want them to lead them. They just want them back because they love their parents and they want to be a family again. Because they have to learn to use their own agency to get that. I could also see where that's going to play into the relationship with bravery and fear then. If the series is truly then almost about agency and how to employ it maybe or like all of that, you know, fear and bravery have a relationship with that idea. Mm -hmm. And so I would then be interested to know what would you say is the point of the first book then? Conquering fear. Okay. That's going to be the main takeaway of the first book. When they put it down, it's definitely, this is how I become more brave. This is how I conquer my fear. Mm -hmm. I like that. And I think it makes sense with everything that you're saying. I'm beginning to see, and I hope you're, you're also beginning to see where connections are starting to get made to build this story and to build the connection with light versus dark. I hope that from what we discussed, you can start seeing how you're going to make these things connect with like the conflict and everything. And that it seems like the connector piece that all of this is really about is maybe agency. Does that sound correct? Yeah. Really the one other thing that I want to kind of talk about and maybe clarify further then is the idea of what argument do you feel like your book is making? And you can also think of this in terms of What is this story arguing for or against, if that helps to direct your thoughts? I think it's making an argument towards finding your own path in life instead of letting other people determine your path in life. You know, I think a lot of us will grow up and we feel all of those social expectations from our families. And I I think that there are a lot of people that go to college and don't really know what they want to do. And and they look at it through the spectrum of what do my parents want me to do? Right. There's a lot of baggage of parents not getting to realize certain dreams and wanting their children to sort of realize the dreams for them. And I know when I went to college, I chose something that wasn't necessarily good for me because I thought it was practical and it was always earning a decent living. Mm -hmm. I've never been very satisfied with that. So with my own children, I've always been a big proponent of chasing your dreams and doing Mm -hmm. what you were meant to do in this world. And I would always support them in just being who they are. And so I feel like the overarching argument is to go out into the world and determine your own future and be the best version of you that you're able to be. And to not 
give your agency away and let other people determine what to do with your life, but to follow your own path. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could totally see that. And so would you say then that that is the series argument that all together that that is what this book series is arguing for? Or would you say that that's the individual first book argument? I would say that's the overarching thread that's sort of running through it all. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it ties into learning how to use your own agency. I would agree with that. I think that is going to be the connector because there's a lot of a lot of different ways to express that. You know what I mean? That that idea of agency and learning how to express it, what it even means to be your own person and express that. And so there's a lot of different, maybe even sub themes that are going to go along with this. And so I, I would then be interested in figuring out then what's the main one you want to focus on? Yeah, I think it's all about learning to use your agency and to not be influenced by everybody else. Particularly, mm-hmm. that's going to be Jackson's arc. Yeah, especially in the first first book. Yeah, and I think that's a very personal story to me because it is a lesson that took me a very long time to learn for myself. So it really resonates with me on a personal level. Yeah. So then I'd be interested to know. So if the series then is about agency, how to use your agency, how to form your own agency, what argument would you say then the first book is making? Since I have to take it in stages leading up Mm -hmm. to that, I think the first book is going to be getting the Jackson character to learn to be willing to conquer his fear in order to be able to even use his own agency. I would agree with that with everything that you've you've said. I feel like that fits into what we've been talking about. The idea of first figuring out how to even develop your own agency is kind of what it seems like Jackson's character is going to really struggle with. You know what I mean? If he's constantly handing his agency over to other people. That definitely sounds like that's what the first book's going to be about. I think then the second book is going to be learning the healthy balance of that. Because if you're using all of your own agency all of the time, that's not necessarily healthy either. It's finding the balance of when do I go on my own and when do I look for the thoughts and opinions of others around me and go with like a group consensus. Yeah, I think the light and dark interplay comes into balance is, you know, finding a healthy balance of how much to use your own agency. Yeah, because it definitely sounds like while the first book is much more about how do you develop your own agency, the second book is going to be a lot more of how should you express your agency? You know what I mean? Because the Evie character definitely has her own agency in the first book, but now it's learning how would you express agency in a way that's actually healthy? Mm-hmm. So that kind of like sounds like where the shift is going to be. The first one is developing it. Now the second one is expressing it, if that makes any sense. Would you agree with that? Yes. Got you. So for the next one, if we, if we know that now we kind of want to go into a little bit more of the light and dark and the nuance there, what do you feel like argument you're making in that section of the series? That you have to be aware of how much using your agency affects the other people around you. So while the first two books are very much self-focused, we're now transcending into other people focused. Yeah. Gotcha. And how your actions affect the people around you. 
And I want to end on the Atlantis book where they go back to help Tiki save his family. But, you know, Tiki's made a lot of actions along the way that weren't necessarily nice because he was trying to save his family. And it it plays into using his agency to save his family, how it affected everybody else around Tiki and Mm -hmm. the lesson that Evie and Jackson are going to take away from that as well. Absolutely. I can totally see that. And I can totally see as we're describing that and like the arguments that we're making, how agency is more the through line between everything really than the light and dark is, if that makes any sense. Because in order to express agency in a healthy way, you do have to see the world through shades of gray instead of black and white. So I can see how that, you know, kind of like builds in and like interweaves with each other. But it, it kind of sounds like, and you can correct me if you disagree on this, that really what's most important then in this series is agency and is showing kids how to have agency and how to have mature agency. Is that correct? Correct. I like that. And I I think that makes sense. And I think that can be a really interesting story to tell. So thank you for sharing all of that with me. I appreciate that. And we talked a lot about the point and we talked a lot about the why and their intersections with conflict and character arcs. And the reason why is because those two things really go hand in hand and that they help inform each other and they help inform conflict and they'll help give you direction on like where you're going so you know what kind of things are really relevant to the story and which ones aren't. And once we start digging into theme as we have here and the why's is this story important to you and why is it important to you to express these things to the world, we're getting down into developing a story that's real and like authentic and, you know, when it's raw and it's yours. And when we don't do this, when we just kind of like ignore this process of idea generation and developing a story, the issue that you begin to run into is creating a story that isn't really impactful. You know what I mean? And it sounds like creating a story that is impactful is really important to you. You know, you don't just want it to be entertaining. You want it to leave an impression with the reader. Yes, very much Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why why this this section of going through this is so important is because we're figuring out what impact you want to leave and how are we going to see that in the story. And I hope you can now that we went through that can start to see how it is going to impact the story. Oh, yes. That definitely gives me a lot as far as it's going to feed into my thought process on where I go and how I get there. And I know that Anytime you do a creative work, I think everyone reaches a point, oh, about a third to halfway through where you start getting a little stuck and you start getting a little frustrated and you start Mm -hmm. getting in your head and thinking that everything you've written up to this point has been total crap. And I think really going through all of this and identifying why I want to tell the story and why it's important to me is going to be what helps me when I get to that point to remind myself why I'm doing this and help me to push through when I get to those moments where I kind of hit the wall. Absolutely. Yeah. The story is, is writing is difficult. I think we can both agree on this. It's a very difficult art form 
not only to master, but just to like reach the end of a project. It's difficult. And so knowing your why and knowing that this story is more than just you and your ego, it's about helping other people. It's about helping your children, which is very important to you. I'm sure as a mother. (laughs) Uh, And so when you reach those moments, you can reach back and say, okay, while I am feeling frustrated and I'm feeling like everything I wrote is terrible, you can reach in that moment of, okay, but this is bigger than me. This is to help my kids, you know what I mean? Or to help future generations of kids. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really beautiful why to have. And I think that that can be a very powerful thing to lean on in those moments where you're like, should I just give up? Or like, maybe the story is just terrible and there's no making anything good. Yeah. When you're like, this is all hopeless and I'm never going to make it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The power of the why. Yes. And so that's pretty much all of the questions that I have for you for right now. I think it was really beneficial. I think the story is going to be much better for having done all of this groundwork beforehand. I agree. I think it'll it'll make the writing process easier. Yeah, I think I'm going to kind of look at the 15 core scenes of an action story and see where I can kind of weave all of that into it and innovate on that mm-hmm. and then maybe work everything else around that what I need leading up into going into each of those moments yeah, yeah. I think that's a good idea for sure yeah I appreciate all your thoughts today and all the brainstorming you helped me do on the book and otherwise and yeah. all my other stuff I have going on in my brain space that concludes this episode of the talk story to me podcast Thanks for listening and be sure to join us next time as we demonstrate how to take your book idea and turn it into a book reality. If you have enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating and review. Until next time, keep writing.